I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jamie Smith. I support Burnley, and I'm a football writer for Omnisport News. Hi, I'm Sam Cox, a writer and contributor to FreshSaints.com and at FreshSaints on Twitter. Hi, I'm Steve McGookin. I'm in Belfast, but I'm a long-time Spurs fan, former chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, to guys. Up first, we're going to start the show much like we did last week by bringing up a relegated club. This time, it's Fulham who go down midweek. Uh, what did you guys make of their brief return to the Premier League? We'll start with you, Jamie. I thought it was hilarious, to be honest. <laughs> um, Having read nothing but about how brilliant Fulham were for all the last season and how they were going to take the Premier League by storm, spending a hundred million, million pounds on uniformly pretty terrible footballers, um, just a, a real blueprint for how not to do promotion from the Championship to bin half the team that had got them promoted and replace them with a lot of lads who didn't justify the money spent on them was, was just hilarious. Um, changing the manager didn't work for them either. I love Claudio Ranieri. I think he's a fantastic manager. Obviously, we wonders at Leicester, but didn't seem to really have any idea how to turn things around at Fulham. And now they seem to have Scott Parker in charge just because he was there. Um, hasn't shown any sort of tactical acumen, motivation skills, yet yeah, still seems to be talking up his own chance of getting the job. It's um, Yeah, I've, I find it very funny. And obviously, for, for from a Burnley perspective, it's been very handy for us to have two teams, Fulham and Huddersfield, who were so far cut adrift that there's only really been one other place up for grabs for, for quite a long time now. Yeah. yeah, I think I'll probably echo that in terms of a Southampton fan's point of view. Um Jamie said there that when they were promoted, um, they were sort of mentioned in the same breath of Wolves. They were going to take the the Premier League by storm, and that they had uh, a young uh, a young manager who had, had you know, bags of potential to to be a, a a real figure in the Premier League for years to come. And for them to just wilter away and not really even challenge uh, survival, let alone. Uh, a mid-table finish was was really underwhelming. I think the point Jamie made again about the transfers. Like when when you uh, get promoted to the Premier League, you've got to try and keep some loyalty to the players that kept you there, but also adding a few players to to give you that cutting edge, that bit of quality to to sort of blend in and maintain the style of football, but also be able to have the quality to stay in the division. But the fact they just Got rid of so many players, especially especially down you know in the core. They got rid of you know players who were sort of the foundations of what Jokanovic uh, really wanted um, from his team was was really surprising. And I think the the signing of Vingisa for thirty million pounds really summed up their transfer business because he's a player that okay I only saw on a couple of occasions when they went to Fulham. And Fulham played against uh, Southampton, and and he didn't look anything of a thirty million pound player. And sacking the manager so early and changing Jukanovic's style of play, which is sort of more attacking, uh, ball on the floor to Ranieri, who's more of a, I would say, a defensive coach, really made you scratch your heads at the decision the hierarchy were, were sort of taking at the club. But again, from a Southampton point of view, the fact that them and Huddersfield were, were so underwhelming and, and terrible in this this division has, has helped us a lot and has boosted our chances of staying up. 
Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think that the thing with uh, Huddersfield was that they had one problem, whereas Fulham, by contrast, had had a multitude of problems. Huddersfield's one problem uh, really was that they should have gone down last season uh, and they weren't appreciably different going into this season. And I I think um, looking ahead, uh, getting rid of David Wagner, I think will be a big blow for them next season. That might be very tough for them to bounce back. Fulham, uh, by contrast, as I say, had a multitude of problems. I mean, on on the field, they were just giving away too many goals. They had the worst defence in any of the top five leagues in Europe. Uh, and, and off the field, they just had too many managers. I, I really felt for Scott Parker because... You know, by the time he came in, all the damage had 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 been done, and and always it was always going to be difficult for them to to recreate anything like the season they had when they came up, and that often makes a disappointing season even worse because you're seeing it through through that lens. So uh, yeah, I mean, somebody said earlier it was it was obvious from early on uh, that it was only the competition was only going to be about the, that third place that these two teams were. Uh, were appreciably worse than, than everybody else, even in the bottom half. And, um, and I suppose as as for whom, <coughs> excuse me, who makes up that triumvirate of doom? I suppose it's uh, it, it'll probably be Cardiff. And and I think over the stretch of the season, that's that's a f- fair reflection. Do any of you think we'll see Fulham anytime soon back up in the Premier League, or do you think they'll they'll struggle once they go back down, especially with all of this this money they've kind of. Ladled, ladled all this money that they kind of settled themselves with. It's not, not like say, is that? Parker, uh, as coach, they're going to have to get another coach. But I personally think that they they'll struggle because of just surely the fact of the money. I know they had a lot of loan signings, but the players that they brought on on big money um, will you know getting them off the waste bill. I know that they'll they'll definitely make a, a heavy loss on on some of those players. But I think the wage bill is the most important thing, especially with parachute payments that you, you get when you go down. Um, but I think the question mark really is managerial appointment. Who do they keep with? Is it Scott Parker? Or do they look to someone more experienced in the championship? If they want to bounce straight back up. But I think another question you have to ask is the hierarchy. I know their, their owner was trying to buy Wembley. Is his interest elsewhere from the football club? I think ours is... Those questions will be answers, obviously, next season. But I think the question mark over the club about bouncing straight back up would be over the hierarchy rather than than the players on the pitch. Mm-hmm. All right, next up, we're going to talk about some quotes that came out of Jose Holobas lately, uh, showed up in the Telegraph, where he was discussing the stadium experience in uh, England, especially versus in Greece, uh, where, of course, he played for some years. Uh, and he mentioned how in England... The, the fan bases tend to be a little bit more subdued. There's less um, drama in the stands, I suppose, would be a way of phrasing it. Um, I think there are both positives and negatives of that. But do you guys agree with that assessment in the first place that maybe uh, fan bases in other countries are a little bit more lively in the stands? I think um, having not been to a game in Greece, it's, it's difficult for me to compare directly. But I think in the Premier League, it's it's suffered from the game is now seen as as more of a a corporate thing. It's more about like a form of entertainment rather than people feel it's their duty to go and play an active part in supporting the team. Um, I think there's multiple reasons for that. Partly, all seater stadiums obviously uh, has played a part in that. Clubs aim to be a lot more family friendly now, which is a good thing, of course. But it does mean that the atmosphere, I think, has suffered because of that. The price as well, um, atmosphere, not always, but generally you would think young people are the people pushing the atmosphere up. But if you're going to be charging £50 for a football ticket, it's it's pricing out that sort of generation. So I think there's a a number of factors in play there. It's interesting that a lot of clubs have come up with their own initiatives to try and solve this. Manchester United are going to have a singing section next season at Old Trafford. Um, And they announced this without a lot of sort of reaction to it, which I think is a sign of the times as well, because if that had happened a few years ago, people would have just laughed at it. But now I think there's more of an acceptance that clubs are going to have to do th- something because one of the reasons that the Premier League is so popular around the world is that the full stadium is passionate fans. 
But if the atmosphere just isn't there anymore, then that's going to be something that affects the reputation of the league. And what I would say about Greece is, every time I hear about Greek football, it's because there's fighting in the stands or something terrible is going on. So I'm not really sure the English league should be looking to Greece as somewhere to have solutions because it seems like a bit of a basket case, to be honest. Yeah, again, I think um, the point was interesting that you made about the um, pricing out of football. As you said, I think the the people that want to come to football and can't afford it are, are generally those who, who care about the club more than, than people who are going for something to do rather than, as you say, it feels like a duty. I think, as you say, £50 for a, a football ticket is, is absurd, but that's sort of the going rate for, for, for top games this, uh, these days. I think if you mention in Greece, um, I think if you look at, as you say, it does look a little bit unorganised, uncontrolled, whereas the regulations that we have in this country keep it from from going down that way of, of violence. So as you see, like, uh, flares and, and TIFOs, I think you, you, you're not allowed to bring them. I mean, you see them in English football, but it's not every single week, whereas in Greece, I think fans bring that mostly every week but I think I don't really feel the atmosphere is is too bad in England I think we've been to grounds we've all been to grounds where you you can see where the away fans are usually louder than the home fans I think that happens sort of for for most weeks I think that's only because of the real fans the real diehard fans will will, will attend those games and that's those people who want to want to bring the atmosphere but I think as you say you, you can't be looking to places like Greece to, to try and build atmosphere only because of because of the regulations that they probably don't have in place yeah I, I agree with all of that I don't, I don't think Holobus really would be too concerned about the noise of the atmosphere at Wembley today and uh, if, if, if your listeners haven't seen it it was an absolutely epic FA Cup semi-final just a a fantastic advert for the game. Great comeback by Watford and a wonderful goal by Dale Fay to get them back into it. I, I Again, I can't speak really to this one with any experiences. The only foreign stadiums that I've been to have been for, for international games and, and there's an entirely different dynamic, uh, especially when you get away from local derbies and the, and the, uh, the antagonisms and the tensions that go along with, with intercity derbies in foreign, in foreign countries. But, but I think what it, what it comes to maybe is that um, something that internationals and some domestic games have in common, that when, when there's something at stake, the vibe is, is very different. I mean, international friendlies can be just the worst to watch, home, home or away, uh, just as you know, mean, meaningless mid-table games on a Wednesday don't always inspire great passion, especially if it's, you know, if it's wet and they're on in the pub. But then I suppose my point about games where there's something at stake is, was, was blown out by the uh, the attendance at the other semi final on Saturday, when uh, one of the teams didn't didn't even bother to sell out their ticket allocation, so I don't know. I mean, I think it, there are plenty of places Holobas could go and play where the atmosphere would be worse than Watford, I guess. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of my next question: is Do you think that just because it might be rowdier elsewhere that that makes it better, Jamie? As you said, the, the fact that it's a little more family safe is definitely a positive. Yeah, I think there's a balance to be struck, isn't there? I think. Um... Safe standing would be what I would like to see introduced. It's interesting that I think stadiums now are being sort of future-proofed. I think there's a section at the new Spurs Stadium, isn't there, that's got safe standing in mind. And I think over the course of the next maybe five years, ten years, it's quite likely that we'll see that introduced in the Premier League. They already have it at Celtic, and it's been shown to be a success there. They've got it in Europe as well, so seems like a matter of time. Obviously, in England, we have to be very careful around um, Liverpool supporters and the Hillsborough disaster. Obviously, we don't want to do anything that looks disrespectful to the victims. But at the end of the day, there wasn't a standing issue that caused Hillsborough. It was because the stadium was unsafe. So I think safe, safe standing, I think, is certainly part of the answer to that. And I'd love to see ticket prices come down as well, but um, I'm not going to hold my breath for that one. But as you say about safe standing, I think every away game that I've been to this season, every every person, every fan has has been stood up. So it's 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 more it's it's 
it's already more dangerous. So. Yeah, it's, it's already happened without safe standing. So it's more dangerous to have to not have safe standing when people are going to do it anyway. So I think that will push uh, that one forward. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all of that. I think safe standing is definitely on the agenda, especially, and that t- ties in with the cost of going to the game as well. You can't expect people to uh, to what if, if people want to stand in a safe way and, and take their kids and they're able to stand. Um, you know that you can't ask them to to pay exorbitant prices and and not watch the game in the way that they want to watch the game. All excellent points. Um, next up, we'll we'll wrap up this kind of news and notes section with uh, a debate that we're decidedly not having right now, which was last season the Player of the Year debate. At the time, Mohamed Salah was scoring goals left and right. De Bruyne was creating just about everything for a team that went on to score a hundred points in the Premier League. This year, not only is that debate largely absent, but I haven't really heard many people even touting a favorite outside of a group of Liverpool fans pushing hard for Van Dyke, who has been fantastic. But I'm curious to hear from you guys. Why do you think that debate has kind of died down this year? And who would you pick out as favorites, perhaps, for this season? I think there's probably a few reasons why it's not been as hotly debated. Um, partly because Man City aren't winning the league by 50 points, so there's no reason to... <laughs> look for something else to talk about we've got the most exciting title race we've had in I don't know how many years so there's no need to fill the gap with noise around something relatively unimportant like an individual award Um, I think there are two probably leading contenders Van Dyke seems to be the favourite with the bookies and probably Sterling from Man City um I'd love to see Sterling get it for a number of reasons. I think his development has been absolutely outstanding under Pep Guardiola. He's, so, he's such an intelligent player now, whereas when he first brought through, he pretty much relied on his pace like a lot of young players, but he's so clever now. He understands what to do in each situation, and now he can finish. A lot of people used to joke that in front of goal he went to pieces, but it's just not the case now at all. This is a player as well who's had to deal with been racially abused twice at least this season alone. Um, he's grown as a person by an incredible amount. We've seen gestures like yesterday where he had 500 kids, I think, from his old school, went to the game. And he just seems to be a fantastic ambassador for, for the modern game. England's the best player as well at the minute, I think. So I think Sterling would be my pick. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Van Dijk won it, though, because I think the danger from Man City's point of view is that their vote sort of gets split. A few contenders from their side, maybe say Bernardo Silver, he's had an outstanding campaign as well. So I think Van Dyke or Sterling for me. Um, I don't think there's much between them, but I'd like to see Sterling win it for, for the reason I've just laid out. Yeah, I think the reason we've we've probably not got to, like you say, for like last year with De Bruyne and, and Salah, because this season the teams, the collectively teams have been have been much better. I think as you saw Salah hadn't scored for eight games. And, and Mane stepped up to the plate. And I think De Bruyne has suffered with injuries. And as you say, Bernardo Silva stepped up to the plate. So when with players sort of going off the boil, they've got, they're in the fortunate position where they've got players who are going to step in and do the similar, and, and, and do the similar jobs. Um, I think I'd echo what Jamie says about, about Van Dijk and, and Sterling. And I think this season it will probably go down to who who's going to win the league. I think, as you say, Sterling has become such a, a brilliant and an intelligent player. As you say, in the past, Sterling's decision-making wasn't great. His positional sense wasn't great and did rely on his pace. But since Pep Guardiola's come into the club, he's turned into to such a magnificent player. You know, he can even operate as a false nine out on either wings. And as you say, I think for England, he's arguably, I don't think it's an argument, I think he is our best player by, by a mile. And I think what he's had to deal with in the recent weeks and, and earlier in the season and the way he's, he's acted, his professionalism and the way he's sort of leading the line for younger players who are facing racial, racial abuse. Uh, I think for me, that would award him over Van Dyke. I think Van Dyke is, has been the cog missing in a, a Liverpool title bid for the past couple of seasons. And if they go on to win the league and if Van Dyke spearheads them to that victory, then then there's not many arguments against him. But I think for what Stern has done all and off the field this season, I think he's my clear contender. 
Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. I think it's between those two, and and I would come down for for Sterling as well. I think an interesting, uh, it's interesting in, in American sports, Kevin, um, uh, the, the MVP, the Most Valuable Player Award, is is usually given to the player who's made the biggest difference to the final performance of their team, whether or not their team wins the title, uh, because they're sort of countless MVP awards for, you know, every game of every playoff series. So, you you know, somebody, there, there's always enough awards to go around. But here, uh, the way this is structured, the PFA award, it's it's hard to envision uh, the player that you're not coming from one of the top two, the teams that are obviously challenging for the title. Again, you know, Salah, VVD, um, uh, Sterling and Aguero, I suppose that's, it's between those four really, isn't it? But um, I think it's is Sterling eligible also for the Young Player Award this time. Oh man, that, I forget what the age cap is for that, but it is ridiculous. It might be twenty five, in which case I think he still About would be. Yeah, yeah, because that's that's going to be an interesting uh, an interesting one this time as well, because you know obviously he could he could win both, but VVD could win the. Um, uh, when the main player and Sterling could be young player, it would be interesting if it turns out between him and, and Marcus Rashford, for example. And uh, although you know he uh, another player uh, for the young player, he, although he finished on the losing side today, I think if Ruben Neves played at a bigger club, uh, he would probably be in contention for for the young player award. He's been very impressive this season. I think I, I think that you're right. It's it comes down to whoever's going to win the league. I mean, Pogba would have been a an interesting choice for the for the main award is he could have been the player of half a season, uh, you know, gets his manager the job, and he <laughs> might be sold in the summer. Um, you know, earlier on, I suppose you could have, you could have put Obama Yang on that list, and of course, you know, Hazard has been consistently good while the team well, around. The team around. Um, Harry Harry Kane won't win it, um, but Harry could finish the season as top top goal scorer for the third time in four seasons, and I I think he'd probably have that. But um, it's going to come down to one of those one of those two, and I, I'll probably go with Sterling as well. Interesting stuff. Kind of a consensus on both the reasoning and the pick. So we'll certainly uh, keep an eye on that awards ceremony when it does happen. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, and we are back. Uh, Jamie, we'll start with you talking a little bit about Burnley. We'll start with the dinner and then get to the dessert. So first up, you have had a tough schedule on the fixture list since the season began. But now you're on 36 points, two-game winning streak, Cardiff up next. Are you now starting to feel confident that that you'll be safe come the end of the season? I think so, yeah. Um, But then we have a habit of losing games when the pressure seems to be off a bit and then winning them when the pressure's back on. So uh, that would be a bit of a concern for the Cardiff game for me that we might think that we're safe now. And obviously if Cardiff win that game, then then it's back open. Um, but I, I think we've given ourselves a massive chance over the course of the last week. I was really worried after the Wolves game because that, that felt like a, a sort of must win um, mm. for me. Sorry, the last, yeah, the Wolves game, not the last game. No, the last game. <laughs> I was massively confused myself. Yes, the last <laughs> game. Um, because that was a game that we should have won, played almost a full match against uh, 10 men. and just didn't look like we knew how to how to go on and win the game. Um, talk about the fixture list being unkind, but it was then quite kind that we had Wolves when they were 
already starting to look ahead to the semi-final. So I think they had their eye on that. We were really up for that match, produced really solid performance, got the early goal, sat on it a bit, and then killed it at the end. So it was clinical stuff, similar to how we played for a lot last season. And then yesterday, we were really good as well. I think we've only won five games or something in the Premier League when we've gone behind under Sean Dyche. But even when we scored an own goal in the first few minutes, I wasn't that concerned. Uh, Bournemouth have been dropping like a stone, really, in the last few months. Defensively, they're just as bad as we were. So I wasn't that concerned, even at 1-0. We managed to get ourselves back in the game very quickly and got in front as well. So, yeah, I think six points from six is a huge boost. Dash is very keen to to highlight the form as a whole since the heavy Boxing Day defeat against Everton. I think we are about sixth, seventh in the form table for that period. So it's been a real turnaround. Um, but yeah, the job's not done completely yet. And we need to make sure that even if we don't win the Cardiff game, that we don't lose it. I think a draw would probably be enough. I think the gap already is, what, eight points to us. So if we were to maintain it at eight, Cardiff are running out of games. I think we've probably just about done enough. But I'd really like to see us have a strong end to the season because last year we ended badly. And I think that often sort of follows through to the campaign afterwards. So we ended last season badly, started this season badly. I'd really like to see us try and build some momentum and end on a real high note. The league's really congested. We can still finish reasonably high up. I think we went up to 14th on Saturday and we could maybe get a couple of places higher as well. So I always want to see us push up the league and if we can try and finish sort of 12th or something, that would be absolutely fantastic considering the position we've been in for much of the campaign. Well, in order to do that, you'd have to take uh, points off of Chelsea and Arsenal and potentially City, none of which I think any of the Tottenham people on this show would mind all too much of that. <laughs> um, also, uh, we tried to get you on a couple of weeks ago, and I mentioned uh, that we'd love to have you on for a Dwight McNeil fan appreciation segment. Uh, so this seems as good a time to do that as any. Came into the team, has been very good. I think he's top four at Burnley in both chances created and accurate crosses since he came in. You've dealt with wing injuries for a while now. So to have somebody young and talented come through, I think has been massively important for you. So I guess the question is, how good has he been in this period for those that haven't been keeping an eye on him? And how high do you think that ceiling is for how good he could be in the future? I think um, I probably have a bit of a reputation among people who know me as maybe overhyping Burnley players. Uh, this time last year, it was probably Nick Pope that was doing it for, saying they should be England's number one at the World Cup and all this sort of stuff. So take my words with a pinch of salt if you want. But um, I think well within your rights to get excited about exciting players. And Dwight McNeil certainly very exciting. Um, the stats show that I think only Ryan Stefanion's comparable for goals and assists as teenagers in the Premier League this season. We've got to consider that McNeil spent a large period out of the squad mm. where Sessegnon's been involved pretty much every week for form, whether he started or been on the bench. Um, it's a bit mystifying, really, what happened to McNeil because he started the season around the squad, played against Olympiacos in the Europa League, was extremely, extremely promising. We won that game but didn't do enough to, to win the tie. And he was our best player, a real bright light. Fitness, I think fitness was maybe an issue. So I don't know if Dash took him out of the team and said, you need to get fit enough to play 90 minutes because we want to use you. We can't be bringing you off early in the second half every game. But he essentially disappeared from the team for, for about three months. He came back in after the Everton game that I mentioned earlier. Tom Heaton came into the team in goal as well. McNeil came in on the wing. And it's since then that we've been picking up results. So it's it's had a massive impact, really. As far as what McNeil does well, he's very direct. I watched the game yesterday and it seemed like every time he got the ball, he took his fullback on and got across him. It wasn't even the cross being blocked or getting tackled. It was felt like every time he managed to get a ball into the box. And they're normally very good balls as well, so remarkable consistency, really. He's not particularly quick. He's not particularly flashy. 
but he, he's very consistent and he gets good delivery into the box. He's a threat in front of goal. I think he scored three Premier League goals this season. There's only the two strikers for us scored more. And like you say about the injuries we've had out wide, it means a player like Robbie Brady, who we spent a lot of money on, hasn't really had a sniff when he's got back fit. There's no question that the left wing spot belongs to Dwight McNeil now. The the hope for us, of course, is that we can keep hold of him. I think if we stay up, obviously we've got a much better chance of doing that. How good can he be? <laughs> it's impossible to tell, really. I've been joking that he's going to win multiple Ballon d'Ors, um, and I might be <laughs> setting the bar a little bit high for him there, but I think if he doesn't win two or three, I'll be really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm very excited about Dwight McNeil. He's only 19, so you can't guess really what what his career's got in store but he's developed a lot this season he looks the real deal to me um and i'm looking forward to seeing him continue developing hopefully we get seen for a few more years because i think it's inevitable that his future is going to be a bigger and better club than us unfortunately Hmm. well it should certainly be fun to watch him until that happens um because he does look quite the talent uh, Sam, coming to you now to talk about Southampton. Uh, for the record, we tried to have you on last week. Schedules didn't work out, so we have yeah. tried to ask you on after a win. It just keeps not happening. We keep having you on <laughs> after like moral wins against bigger clubs that end up being losses with zero points. A stat that I'm sure you've seen uh, after that match is you've now dropped 23 mm-hmm. points from leading positions. Why do you think that's something that's happening so consistently to this side? Uh, it's it's hard to really put a finger on it, but but I think it's the the past, especially the past two managerial appointments before Hazen Hootel in in Pellegrino and and especially Mark Hughes, then their their tactics and what they've sort of instilled into into those players in the squads are still coming back to haunt us. I think we've improved slightly under Hazen Hootel. I think our goals per game conceded is is slightly better than it was under Hughes, but these are still uh, the same sort of characteristics per game, which has been haunting us since since Pellegrino was in charge. Um, and I truly think the players are still really nervous, uneasy when they when they manage to to take the lead. I think we've seen it as you said, twenty three points dropped from from winning positions this season. Yes, I mean for for the course of a season, you're going to drop points from for winning positions, but. Had we had taken all twenty three, we'd be sitting on fifty six points. You know, that's that's looking at the Europa League places up with up with sort of you know Wolves, Everton, and and Watford. But because of our inability to hold leads, our inability of of being able to to be defensive defensively astute is is really haunting us. And I think it's, it's a confidence thing. I think it's a it's a belief thing as well. And, and as I said, it's it's been installed for for the best part of two seasons and Hazard was gradually getting getting it back but it, it's still something that that from the style of play that has been sort of put on these players it's still it's still something which is a long-term thing which we're gonna have to get right rather than than a short-term fix yeah, well, hopefully you can turn it around. And I suppose there is kind of a silver lining there, which means that you're probably scoring a lot of early goals, which in yeah. theory is a good thing. You just kind of have to hold on uh, from there or go on and score more. Um, much like Jamie, you're still there in, in the relegation mix, a bit behind them at the moment. Um, not as difficult a schedule by any stretch, but still in that fight right now. Is there anything in particular mm-hmm. you think needs to be done to ensure your safety come the end of the year? I think we need to target a couple of games, especially the home games. I think our saving grace is Huddersfield at home the final day of the season. Personally, I think 38 points is going to keep you in the division. Um, and with 33, so that's a win and two draws. I think we've just got, a, it sounds really cliche, but sort of take each game as it comes. Uh, but looking at our fixtures, we don't play any of the top six. But I think that could also be a poison chance. I think we've got to play Watford at home. No, Watford away, sorry. Wolves at home. Um, two really difficult games but on paper you think oh you could get points from that but they're two really difficult games um, we've got to play Bournemouth at home uh, a side who haven't beaten us in I think it's the past five so they'll be itching to try and get one over on us we've got Newcastle away and 
yeah, I think we've just got to take each game as it comes. I think we know on our day that we can beat the teams in around us. And I think that Brighton result last week was a big psychological boost because this season we've, and, and, and the seasons before, we haven't beaten the teams in and around us. Um, and this season, by getting four points, um, an accumulation over two games against Brighton, and, and the win and the way we did it, we defended well that day. Um, I think we can take belief from that. But in order to make sure we get to those 38 points, we've got to make sure we are defensively astute and we need to make sure our best players remain fit. I think they will do. The only question mark over the fitness of players is Danny Ings. He's been in and out of the side through injury all season. But if you can keep him fit for the last six games, he almost guarantees your goals. And I think the the, the positives to take is the performances of Nathan Redmonds, Piano Hoiberg and, and Ward Prowse since Harsnew was coming to the club. And I think those players and the belief in the squad that Harsnew was given them especially going forward, uh, will see us, us stay up. I don't know how quickly or, or how long they're going to drag it out, but I think we'll, we'll just be okay. Fair enough. Well, certainly best of luck to you for the rest of the season. Uh, Steve, coming to you to talk about Tottenham now. Uh, pretty exciting week that includes uh, the opening of the Tottenham Stadium just a couple of days late. Uh, compared to what it was initially expected. Uh, But it is officially rolled out, and I'm curious to hear your initial thoughts uh, on the stadium and uh, the short-term impact it could have on the the team, especially considering the poor run of form that we suffered leading into it, and then the long-term upside for the club of having a stadium of that size. Yeah, I think we've we've waited long enough really for it, Kevin, haven't we? And it's, uh, it's sort of dragged on longer than it should. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the big thing to bear in mind about what happened in the Palace game was the, the you know, all the fireworks were, were before the game uh, to, to celebrate the stadium. Uh, but it, it was very much a kind of a job done uh, game against Palace. It was, but I think what, what Wednesday represented was a huge psychological turning point. Uh, I think in part because we were able to grind out the result and it, it sort of turned around a, a, a poor a poor, very poor run of run of form for us uh, recently, but also the psychological effect of moving into that stadium and the fact that pretty much everyone now accepts that that's one of the it's one of the world class stadiums uh, for the game. It sends a message to the club. It sends a message to Daniel Levy that you know big clubs have a big stadium and big things are expected of them, and and uh, you know we we have to have the ambition to be able to um, to to match up to that and. and there's an avoidable, unavoidable sense, I think, among Spurs fans that something has to has to be shaken up in the off season uh, this year, more so than last, much more so than last, because of the move into the new stadium, and especially with uh, the news of the of the record profits, and in, in in spite of the tight budgets that we've had in the seasons uh, during the construction. But then, uh, you know, if you don't buy anybody for two windows, of course, you're you're going to make a huge profit. So I think there's a psychological thing. Um, about, you know, are we ready to step up? Uh, there was a very, very good article uh, by Guillaume Balaguet uh, this week, who, of course, you know, wrote the book uh, on Poch and is very close to him. So you get a sense that what Balaguet says, Poch is, is kind of happy to have out there. And, and, and it, it, it essentially made the argument that, that Pochettino's team has peaked. That is this, how much more can he get from the team as it currently as, it, as it's currently constituted. And, and so, in a way, it put, sort of puts pressure back on the Levy to say, well, are we going to actually move the team up to the next level where we're not just almosts, we're not just, you know, also rounds. It's all very well getting to uh, the quarterfinals of the Champions League and sort of finishing third, fourth consistently. But are we serious about making a, a, a tilt for the title? There has to be some tinkering with the team, I think, to to be able to to move that forward. The good thing psychologically, I think, about having the stadium up and and technically that we're back on this on this track, is that I think we'll go into Tuesday night's game uh, with with l- less pressure than we probably ordinarily would. Uh, we gave City a pretty good run uh, in the in the game at Wembley earlier in the season, um, so and nobody's really expecting us to to get through this tie. So I think in a way. 
um, going into it with um, uh, with a lot less pressure uh, is probably the best situation that we could be in. So uh, I, there's there's an awful lot. I mean, as you know, Kevin, there's always unanswered questions about what's going to happen next season with Spurs. Um, you know, I think everything flows from what happens with Pochettino. Um, so we'll we'll just you know we'll try for the best possible finish to the season that we can and then uh, and then see where we go for the mirror but it, it definitely the, the the stadium is a representation of the psychological challenge now to the club and the supporters are we ready to are we ready to take it to the next level if we can yeah you brought up the run in towards the end there and that is very convenient because what i was next about to bring up was in 2011 in your study in new york we discussed <laughs> after drawing real madrid what the approach should be for the remainder of the season. Do you go for the cup glory while you can, even against Madrid, an opponent you're probably not going to beat, but do you just try to go for it and see what happens? Or do you kind of reserve yourself, try to ensure your place in the competition the next season? Now, just eight years on, almost the exact same situation. Being drawn against City, a team very difficult to beat over two legs, still kind of battling for that top four spot. It's worth noting that the last time we did this, we did not succeed on either front. Both missed out on top four and did not advance out of the quarterfinals. So curious, uh, now with the benefit of the majority of a decade, uh, what do you think the approach should be here for the run-in? That's, that's a really good question. And I wish we were playing Real Madrid again <laughs> this time, to be honest. <laughs> we uh, should have signed Crouch, not Burnley. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I think if you look at our run-in, if you look at the fixtures that we have, especially now with uh, with the stadium up and running and we have... Uh, you know, I think it's four of the last five games are at home. Is it? Mm. Is that right? I think so. Um, you know, I, I, you have to look at the running and say, we we shouldn't blow it from here. We shouldn't blow top four from here. But of course, anything can happen, and it's going to come down to I think how a lot of the other teams around us uh, play against each other. But I I just I just think there's I I have a sense about this game on Tuesday night. I think we can make a win. To be honest with you. Kev, um, I don't think we're we're going to be dominant, but I do think we're probably going to go into it much looser than we would have been had it been at Wembley, for example. I think that would be, um, and obviously the the outcome on Wednesday night against Palace uh, helped ease us into the new stadium. Uh, so I, I think yes, I mean, everything, as I say, everything seems to be psychological at the moment. Uh, and if we're going into this with a, with a little more confidence, um, I, I actually think we can get a, a decent result, at least to make, put it this way, at least to make the tie competitive going into the second leg. And really at this stage of, at this stage of the, the, the Champions League, I mean, my goodness, uh, you know, I, I remember times when we would celebrate and, and you were there, we would celebrate uh, getting into the Europa League. Um, so, you know, this is, this is a different, a different mindset for us. And, and the stadium, I think is the embodiment of that challenge for how we go forward. Yeah. It'll certainly be interesting to see what comes of these three matches against city and four. Um, I I've said before, I think we win one of them and I hope it's the league one because if it's just the <laughs> cup one, that means we lose the tie and that's absolutely uh, a victory of sorts. I would I would take I would take that right now. I'd take the three points absolutely over the uh over the Champions League now. But as I say, I think I think we're capable of good result on Tuesday. Here's hoping. Uh all right, next up we'll head into player watch where we're gonna do it old school style, the way uh we used to do player watch when we first started the show, which is a player that impressed and one that disappointed in your club's most recent fixture. Uh I realized two of us won, so hard to pick out somebody that struggled and unfortunately for Sam they lost so maybe hard to pick out a, a person that particularly impressed but for you guys that is the challenge I lay before you <laughs> thanks <laughs> <laughs> since I've already gushed by Dwight McNeil I, I think he was excellent again on Saturday but I want to highlight Ashley Westwood um, I've not been Ashley Westwood's fan at all really for a large part of his time at the club thought it was Typical of our some recent signing, someone that was good enough to sit on the bench but not really good enough to play. I've got to say, since the turn of the year, he's totally proven me wrong. He's probably been our best player in that time, along with McNeil. Golden assists at the weekend. Seems to have really added productivity to his game. He's always been quite safe in possession, which doesn't always suit us as a team because we are quite direct. We like to get it forward, but he seems to be really taking it on the 
he needs to be more productive as well as just playing these sideways passes. Uh, his corners are really dangerous, as Liverpool will know, having scored one against them a few weeks ago. Um, an excellent corner produced our equaliser, I think it was the equaliser, on Saturday. So it's, set pieces are always going to be important for Burnley. So having someone like Westwood, who's very dangerous in those areas, is a real boost. And he got in the box and scored a very good goal as well at the weekend too. So I think he's really kicked on and from someone who I thought was a waste of £5 million not that long ago, he now looks like one of the best £5 million signings anyone's ever made, really. He looks a real bargain. And considering he's essentially stunning in for the best player at the club, Stephen DeFore, who's been injured for basically all the campaign, that Westwood really looks like a, a solid part of our team now, not someone that we'd look to replace in the summer. Testament to, to the way he's really knuckled down since January. So, full credit to Ashley Westwood and humble pie for me on that one. Um, not really any individuals to pick out from the weekend. I will, will still will say, however, that Peter Craig has mentioned earlier in the podcast and his arrival in January has to go down as one of the most mystifying signings that a Premier League club has ever made. Really, I think it was understandable why we allowed Sam Volts to leave. He wasn't getting a lot of game time for us. He's at an age where he wants to play, make sure that he's being selected for Wales. So allowing Volts to go, wasn't thrilled about it, but getting some money in for him, I think, made sense. The signing Crouch's replacement was utterly stupid. He's contributed, I think, 70-odd minutes across five substitute appearances. And now he's had his appendix out, so he's probably not going to be available for the rest of the season. So, massive waste of everyone's time. Well done, everyone. Yeah, you uh, were not a super huge fan at the time, and uh seems you were correct in, in judging it <laughs> no, that way. I am sometimes correct. It doesn't happen <laughs> a lot, but occasionally, uh, stop clock. Yeah. Um, now we'll move on to Sam uh, for Southampton. As we mentioned before, great start. Less encouraging finish, but who stood mm-hmm. out for you, uh, both positively and negatively, on the day? I would go for, in a positive light, would go for Pierre Hoiberg, but I think I would that would be a bit too obvious, and I'd like to give credit where it's due to to Shane Long. Um, throughout the season, he's got a lot of criticism, and probably rightly so, for his lack of goals, lack of. Um, uh, presence up front but I think Shane did the job perfectly that we needed to do against Liverpool he looked to be in, in behind caused problems for for their back line because of course Danny Ings is still uh, a loan deal at the moment so he was ineligible to play and he, he deserved the goal I mean he was in and around the box and it fell to him and, and he put it away expertly and I think that finish and that type of finish probably isn't as easy as it looks. I know he's he's you know six yards out, but I think the pressure of the defenders and, and the keeper coming out. So to find the bottom corner from from probably an improbable angle from from his point of view was fantastic. And I think from when he came off, it changed the game because we didn't have that presence. He came off uh, for Stuart Armstrong. Armstrong then went to on the left wing, and Nathan Redmond moved into to the striking position, and and that's what changed the game for Saints going forward. We didn't have an outlook, um, and that's the only sort of criticism I'll have of Harzen this season is that 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 one decision, you know, that he's he he, he took long off. I, I'm not sure. I mean, Long hasn't really played a lot of football, so it's probably was tiring. Um, and Charlie Austin and Shane Long are very different types of strikers, so I could see why he kept uh, Austin on the bench and, and and move Redmond in. But I think Long gave us so much. In terms of an, an outlook, in terms of a presence up front, in terms of uh, a real striker's movement, and I think he deserves the credit because he hasn't got any a lot of credit this season, uh, a lot of criticism, and uh, I think credits uh, give credit where it's due. Um, in terms of a, a, a disappointing performance, I think overall the team performance was was good, and we sort of were in the game, and we made it difficult uh, for Liverpool for eighty minutes. But I think. Um, if I was to choose, I'd say uh, Oriol Romeo, um, uh, a defensive midfielder who is tough tackling. is is quite good on the ball, but I think he couldn't really get himself into the game on Friday. I think he couldn't quite deal with the the, the dyna, dyna, dynamism. I think that's a word of uh, of Liverpool's of midfield, and especially when uh, surprisingly. Uh, to me, Jordan Henderson and, and James Milner came on and they sort of changed the game in that midfield and, and Romeo 
couldn't really deal with with Henderson, and I think that was where the key battle was lost on Friday. And uh, as I, as I saw Henderson pop up for the third goal, and uh, the counter attack from the corner, I, I'm not sure what the instructions are, but we only had Ryan Bertram back, and it's, you sort of you know scratching your head, knowing how much pace that Liverpool have on a counter attack. Why why Romeo or or another fullback wasn't there? But I think yeah, as I say, Shane Long. The, the impressive performance uh, and the slightly disappointing would be uh, Oral Mayer. All right, and then coming to you now, Steve, have to think back a little bit further to the to the match midweek. Um, who impressed and disappointed for you for Tottenham? Well, I, I'll just pick Jamie up on one thing he said about, uh, was it Lee Westwood being the best £5 million signing? I'm afraid you're going to have to go some to get past Deli Alley. So... Um, I think, I mean, Ali was great uh, on Wednesday night against against Palace. Um, but the, the Spurs player that I was most impressed by this week had nothing to do with uh, how he played on the pitch. And it was Danny Rose. I was really, really proud of him for, for saying what he did, standing up for what's right and what needed to be said and, and for challenging the, the football authorities to step up. And and just as I keep being impressed by Raheem Sterling for all you know the reasons that we discussed earlier in the in the Player of the Year uh, conversation, they're both you know handling difficult situations very professionally at the same time, being a great role model for young players and an inspiration for for all of us um, who want to see the back of racism in, in whatever form. So Danny Rose is my my Player of the Week, um, and also actually I don't know if you've seen the video. Uh, how how he how Danny celebrated uh, Sonny's opening goal? Yeah, he sank uh, to his knees, falling to his knees with with relief that it was actually a Spurs player that scored the first goal in the new stadium. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that was uh, I, I'm I'm happy that we we got the win. I'm happy with how uh, the team played. Uh, just in that, you know, we're talking about the, the final run in. Uh, I, I don't know what you think about this, Kevin, but I, I'd like to see Paulo Gazaniga get a couple of games. Um, uh, I, not oh, that yeah. you know Google's confidence is not uh, has not been tremendous recently, but uh, obviously he's going to play on Tuesday night. But but I, I think in the, in some of the remaining uh, league games, I, I'd like to see Gazaniga get a couple of games. Yeah, I, I do like Gazaniga. As soon as Hugo made that huge mistake against Liverpool, though, I immediately knew it would be Hugo again because Pochettino yeah. has adopted this. Players after a big mistake, he always starts them the next match. To mm. kind of keep them on side, to kind of keep them from, you know, exactly. dwelling exactly. too long. Um, not not sure if that's the right choice, short or long term. It certainly is the one he's adopted, and uh, we'll see where that puts us. But I certainly wouldn't mind seeing Gazanik in the side. Uh, was there anybody that disappointed you midweek? No, not really. I mean, I I think it was always the 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 occasion was always going to overwhelm the team, uh, no matter what. I think the only well, no, it was. I think they they climbed above it. I think tremendously, especially mm. being intimidated by the the opera singer at the start of at the start of the game. I think that was <laughs> that difficult challenge for them. But no, I I, I I I've forgotten about Wednesday night now. Apart from the fact that we won and it was the first game at the new stadium. So absolutely fair enough. Well, we will come right back to you at the start of match previews. Here uh, we've discussed uh, the midweek match against City plenty already but let's get into it a bit more um i have had basically a week to prepare for this match which is certainly nice as opposed to city who had to play this weekend in the fa cup do you think that'll be a bit of an advantage yes i think it it actually will um also as i say i think it's psychologically it's going to come down to the fact that we're going into this with uh, as underdogs even at home and even in the, the new stadium uh plus we were able to win pretty convincingly uh, on Wednesday night, and I think that's, uh, that sort of helps us. So, yes, I mean, as I say, let's keep let's stay alive in the tie and then concentrate on uh, the other game against City in the league. And, uh, you know, let's just play the league games as they come up. Thankfully, we've got Huddersfield coming up. That shouldn't be, <laughs> shouldn't be too much of a problem. I mean, obviously, Chelsea, Chelsea can go third tomorrow uh, before we play again. But uh, apart from our trip, to the Etihad, dare I say that you know our league run in, particularly with the number of games, as I say that we have at home, actually looks quite encouraging. So, uh, so I'm I'm going into Tuesday night um, pretty upbeat, and I'm actually more optimistic about the remainder of the season than I was last week. So, mm. 
All right, uh, then we will come to you, Jamie. As we mentioned earlier, you have Cardiff. You can do yourselves a big favor and also Sam in the process uh, if you were to pick up a win against Cardiff. Is that what you're expecting? Um, yeah, I think so. I think um, if we play like we have in the, the last two games, then we probably should win the game. It's maybe a bit less chance saloon getting to that stage for Cardiff. If they don't win that game, then it's going to look really tough for them to get out of it. Um, but I think what happens to them against uh, Chelsea, probably just not the stuffing out of them a little bit, to be leading that game on track to pick up points that would have given them a massive boost, uh, confidence boost as well, beating a team like Chelsea. They thought that they could have beaten anyone after that. So the fact that it was it was basically stolen from them by a terrible referee I think that that's going to have a massive impact on on their mentality for the rest of the season. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm reasonably confident about this one, but like I said earlier, it'll be very Burnley to, to look like we've got out of it and then produce a performance that means that we we're right back in the mess. So so fingers crossed that we just keep doing our jobs. And if if we play like we did on Saturday, then I'm I'm fully confident that we'll get the three points that we need, and then we can start thinking about next season really but like I said I'd like us to, to try and finish the season strongly I know we've got tough games but we've seen today Everton have won a home to Arsenal there's no reason why we can't do the same Everton away that's not a particularly scary game we've seen teams in the race for Champions League football dropping points all over the place recently so I don't think we've really got anything to, to fear from those matches but hopefully the pressure will be off for those last four all right, and then uh, coming to you, Sam, now, we're going to talk a little bit about that match. You're going to be hosting Wolves. Um, Jamie mentioned he felt fortunate that they played Wolves when they were already distracted by the Cup. Obviously, you'll be yeah. playing them off the back of this uh, very bitter defeat uh, when it looked like they had things in the bag there at the death uh, against Watford. Do you think maybe you're also playing them at perhaps the right time? Yeah, potentially, I, I think so. I think the reaction will be interesting to see from their point of view how they respond from from such a disappointing defeat today, you know, leading the game 2-0 and, and, and to be on the losing losing side is always difficult psychologically. So I hope that it will affect them in the wrong way, but it also could work in, in their favour to try and bounce back. But from from our point of view, I think we shouldn't we shouldn't really fear a team like Wolves. I know they've been fantastic this season and they've been... The big, uh, type, the big team should fear Wolves. Everybody else, not so much. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the thing. I think Wolves sort of thrive on 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 those types of big games. You know, they 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 like a counter uh, counter attacking style, um, but I think we can also take confidence in the fact that we we we've looked um, we've looked strong um, in in recent weeks, and the performance level, although we were on the wrong side of the result against Liverpool, the performance for eighty minutes is a is a major point, uh, positive to take, and I think. We we have a good chance of of picking up three points. I'd like to think that, um, and I think if you look at the performance um, of Burnley against against Wolves, I think that's sort of a, a blueprint how to how to get three points against them. But as I say, I think it's, it's not going to be an easy an easy game. Wolves have been been fantastic, and they've got quality all over the pitch. So we've got to remember that we can't go into the game thinking it's going to be a a walk in the park. Uh, I think that's sort of undone a few teams this season against Wolves. And uh, if we take it for for what it is, and we we know what to expect from Wolves, I think we can we can put a performance together which will we'll get us three points, and will hopefully coincide with a Burnley victory, which will uh, which will keep us uh, a little bit further away from Cardiff. All right, and then we'll wrap up with Steve just to get uh, Tottenham's weekend fixture in line. Uh, with all of these matches against Manchester City coming up, do you think there would be a fair bit of rotation in that Huddersfield match the weekend? Yes, I would imagine so. And we were, you know, we were talking about Gazaniga maybe making a, an appearance. That that would seem to me to be uh, the perfect opportunity to to let him do that. Um, I think a lot depends on uh, you know how Tuesday night goes and what the outcome is there, and if there are any injuries. But uh, but certainly yes, Huddersfield, you would think um, we would uh, have the, the opportunity to rotate a few players in. Uh, we've got then it's uh, Brighton uh, also at home. Uh, that'll be an interesting game as well because uh, they're. Well, I don't think they're. Are they desperate? Are they so far down that they're desperate? I don't think so. But uh, yeah, I think they, 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 those three games, those three games against City uh, in the next two weeks, are uh, are kind of going to 
say a lot about uh, how the, the team is made up uh, going into the last uh, four or five games. All right. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks to all of you guys for coming on. We are out of time. So if there's anything you'd like to plug or if you want to tell people where they can find you, now would be a good time. Yeah, pleasure as always. Thanks for having us on. Um, if you've got burning desire to hear more hot Dwight McNeil takes from me, you can do so on Twitter. I'm at Jamie Smith Sport. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. at Mr. Sam E. Cox, or if you're interested in anything and all things Southampton, you can check our Twitter at Fresh Saints or FreshSaints.com. And uh, you can get me on Twitter at, uh, at Steve McGookin, but rather than plug anything of my own tonight, I'm going to uh, point people to an article in Today's Observer by uh, my friend and fellow Spurs fan, Sarah Hughes, uh, when she writes about uh, the new season of Game of Thrones and the futility of following Spurs. Thanks for having me on again, Kev. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. I write about fantasy football for both uh, ESPN and for Goal the Former. I wrote about Leicester uh, earlier in the week, and that turned out to be an excellent choice of topic uh, as they went on to have a massive week, uh, Vardy in particular. So if you're interested in fantasy football, go check out uh, both of those again at ESPN and at Goal. Uh, and then we also have a championship show on this very channel that uh, you should definitely check out as we get into those periods where we start to prepare to see which uh, clubs will be coming up. So if you want a little bit of, on, on the scoop there, be sure to listen to our championship roundtable on this channel as well. Thanks to all of you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.